continuing the order of the day. So, very important discussion, very important developments in in the gaming industry uh, <laughs> that we were talking about before I hit record. Now I hit record, and I'm like, this is this is too valuable a discussion to not have. So sometimes when I pour coffee out of the little receptacle in the coffee maker, sometimes it'll pour in no problem, just out of the coffee maker into the cup. Mmm, delicious. Like the measuring glass thing. Yeah. Because no one's going to put it in another thing and then put it into cups. What are we, labouring under pole pot? I don't think so. So anyway, sometimes I pour it like that and it's no bother. But sometimes, and there are no variables changing it, sometimes it'll come out and just cling to the side and then pour all along the underside of the glass and then splash all over the counter. And Conrad said he gets that and all. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I I did it just now at my desk. Yeah. And this is not, you know, with even a, a coffee maker carafe. This is a separate carafe that we separate use. Separate carafe to put our coffee in and keep it warm throughout the day without having, you yeah. know, it get burned by the coffee machine because we've left, you know, the pot on all day. Cowards. And, you know, it, it, it's really worked out quite nicely because here's the other aspect of it. It relates to your poor problem because if I'm repeatedly pouring out of the coffee maker carafe, it increases the odds of that dribbling happening at least mm. once. And then what happens is because it's clung to the side, I stick it back in the coffee maker, and now it's burning and smoking on the ceramic plate. This is underneath. I was trying to work out why this happens with coffee, but it doesn't happen with tea. And I reckon it's a pretty universal standard that tea teapots, much better spout on them. Like, they have a very pronounced spout, whereas coffee yeah. things are just like, they have a tiny, barely a lip where it's like, yeah, I guess this is where we pour. Like, there's no there's no dedicated, like, here's a fucking slide for my coffee to go down. My theory is that coffee is very easily confused. And sometimes it thinks it's actually toffee. Mm. And then it oh. then it acts sticky. It forgets that it's not meant to be sticky toffee. It's sticky, it thinks it's sticky coffee. And, and then it clings to the side. And then when it reaches the end, it's like, oh shit, we're coffee, not toffee. Let's fall off. And splash all over Jim's fucking counter. <laughs> all over his fucking counter. Maybe the reasoning is that coffee, you know, sometimes it's just feeling a little bit lazy. It's not as awake as it should be. It's not up to making that proper pour. The coffee's not had its coffee yet. The coffee needs its coffee. Jesus. Now we've got. A, now, now there needs to be a small <laughs> coffee maker about the size of a pint glass. And that can make little pots of coffee, and then you pour that coffee into the coffee. Yeah, but what if the coffee in that first coffee maker's not awake enough to get into the second coffee maker? We've got the same problem again. Then we've got ourselves uh, an inception issue. <laughs> then, then Leonardo DiCaprio needs involved. Well, and it, it, it also really it quickly escalates it to a point where you're going to in, need to invade some nations that are coffee producers so that you can secure <laughs> enough quantity. I mean, it's colonialism all the way down. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, is is that the solution? We just have to pour coffee on the coffee beans when they're growing so that the, the coffee is nice and awake when it gets made. Yeah, but we, we do then have to double <laughs> coffee production, which yes. will lead into the seizure of nations and the... the, the the itchy, the ever itchy issue of colonialism. Let's call it what it's called in the papers. <laughs> the ever itchy issue of colonialism. Always just that tiny bit uncomfortable when you bring it up. 
at your dad's funeral. Well, it's, it may have to do with having just too much coffee, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, tell you what, right? Colonialism. Mm, not, for, not for me. Not a fan. No, not a fan. No, thanks, Mum. Put it back in the oven. <laughs> my, my brother can have it when he's come home from football. No, thanks. I'll eat shepherd's pie. Colonialism. Not the best thing that Britain ever made. Oh, no, no, that that would be EastEnders. <laughs> yeah. Specifically EastEnders from the year 2000 to 2002, <laughs> when it was really popping off. Yeah. Colonialism is worse than EastEnders. Colonialism is worse than EastEnders. It's worse than when the Battersbys first came to Coronation Street. Oh. I, I would have to say that it's worse than Hollyoaks. Oh, my... No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's no. Hollywood's worse than colonialism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why the paper call, calls it the ever itchy Hollyoaks. <laughs> it's a little, ooh. Oh, we don't talk about that at our dad's funeral. So anyway, anyway, I'm in lots of pain. So give me a free pass on anything this week that you don't like that I've done. Listen up. Feel a bit sorry for me. We kept it on the down low, not really talked about it much. I had to cancel my appearance at the Rise show this weekend. Fairly heartbreaking. Found out that that whole back issue, yeah, that can just come back. And it's it wasn't even a wrestling thing. I've been on an off-season. It may have been the doing nothing. Apparently, it just comes in and out, just the bulge. Oh. So, so it can recede, it can come out. It's just going to be an issue now. Can we just all tell it to fuck off? Yeah. Because like, I feel like it needs to fuck off. There was one doctor who tested it and it had already like gone back in. And he said, if it ever comes back out again, we're talking about a bulge in the spine, not my knob. And he said, then he'd be open to the idea of like going in there and like cutting it off, the bulge. And I said, all right then. So I, I'm going to see the doctor again this week and be like, do you remember what that doctor was? Because I fucking can't. So that sucks. That sucks. Couldn't walk on Friday, um, last Friday. Like, I had to somehow crawl to the doctors from where I am, and it was agony. And when I got there, they needed to wheelchair me back out when I, when I was done. They, like, put an injection up my bum and said, right, that'll that'll make you better for a minute. And it, like, hours later... When it was that and also lots of other medicine, I could walk about a bit. I'm a, I'm a lot better now than I was. I can actually, I've got some mobility, but it's just this constant feeling that you've been punched in the back, like like, like by the shredder. And then that sucks, but I'll be all right. Hopefully so. I'll be all right in a minute. I bought a big bag of weed to make myself feel better. It's Mississippi stuff. It's it's just you might as well just be smoking actual grass. Yeah. That's my week anyway. How how how's everyone else? I I had a really lazy weekend watching Twin Peaks and eating far too many calories and falling in and out of sleep. That sounds great, actually. That sounds like the life of a cat. Yeah, it it, it pretty much was. I must say, Twin Peaks. Doesn't get easier to understand what's happening if you fall asleep at random intervals. That does not help the understanding. You know what? <laughs> I imagine that gets in the way of the plot. Yeah, yeah. Twin Peaks is one of those things where if you fall asleep and wake up and suddenly there's there's a man speaking backwards in a weird red room and 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 the owls aren't what they seem. And you, you're like, the fuck have I woken up to? What the hell's going on here? Yeah. What the hell's going on? Yeah, I gotta level with you. I don't really think it's actively harmful to the ability to comprehend Twin Peaks, though. I don't know. 
I think it helps to, at the very least, have seen the weirdness. You've got to have the full context for how weird it's gone. <laughs> so long as Laura didn't fall asleep, like, during every interval where Diane has one of her scenes, then I think she'll be able to follow it just <laughs> That's fine. That's true. That's true. If, Diane If you manage to fall asleep through every Diane scene where she basically explains the plot, then, yeah, you're probably not going to pick up on it. So... Without, without like, any major context spoilers or anything, can I just talk about my favourite thing about Twin Peaks that n- American audiences won't have ever seen? What's that? In the UK, Twin Peaks, before every episode, you know the lady with the log? Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 She did little intros to episodes in the UK because they were paranoid that we wouldn't understand what was happening. But her intros don't explain anything. She waffles nonsense and it's no help. Brilliant. No, I, th- but I don't, I don't agree with that at all. Because the things that she says um, really do relate into plot elements and raise questions and tell you things to look for. Like, so, some of them do. Some of them don't. <laughs> Yeah, okay. I think even some of them you maybe don't think do. Anyway. Okay, that's yeah. fair. May- some of them may, upon a rewatch, make more sense to me. That's the thing. But the point about those Log Lady intros is, you know the episode where you find out who did the killing? Her whole intro is her basically channeling David Lynch going, you know, sometimes mysteries are better if we don't answer them. Maybe maybe you won't be happy if you, if if we answer a mystery. Yeah. D- d- don't d- don't 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 make me answer the mystery. Brilliant. Yeah, it's just David Lynch getting this lady to go, "Don't make me fucking tell you who the killer is. I don't uh, want to fucking tell you who the killer is." Tell that David Lynch. He's he's a clever little sausage. Yeah. He is a clever little sausage. Sometimes watch his work and think, "You know what? He's a clever little sausage. Give him a sticker." I'd give David Lynch a sticker that said clever little sausage on it. <laughs> and I'd tell him to wear it on his lapel and I'd say, do it while I can see you do it. <laughs> Don't look at him, put it on. <laughs> so what what we've been doing video games this week? I uh, sat on a big dildo. <laughs> I didn't. What, what video game let you do that, huh? Uh, Res. Yeah. I only said res because people used to talk about putting the controller on their knob. The trance vibrator? It, yeah. I think there was some sort of dildo thing made, not officially, obviously. I think there was a dildo-y thing made for it. I'm going to look up, hang on, give me a second while I Google res dildo. People in the in the Wii homebrew community made programs that would just set your Wiimote to vibrate constantly so you could shove it up your ass and it just keep vibrating. Oh, Good. that was one of the really great things about the Metal Gear Solid um, menus on the PlayStation 1 version is that you could uh, do a test mode of the uh, motors (laughs) in your DualShock controller. Tetsuya Mitaguchi has revealed that the Res Trance Vibrator was his idea, but that he didn't create it with any particular sexual meaning in mind. That was a story from Tom Bramwell on Eurogamer in 2006. Which I can believe. I totally believe that. I knew there was something about a Res vibrator or something from them from the old days yeah yeah there that was a device sure it was never it was never intended but you know if it vibrates someone's gonna fuck it yep i mean uh, hats off to to mitaguchi's innocence that he just thinks oh that that's vibrating this is gonna enhance the experience yeah People will enjoy that they'll get to feel the bass in their body yeah, they're gonna feel that bass in their body, alright. I've made some I've made something that vibrates. That's not gonna go near any genitals. <laughs> uh, well well done to him. Well done to him. Uh we also got a link 
for Rex, uh, one of the many dildos available from BadDragon.com. Yeah, you wanna you wanna talk about dildos? Whew. Gotta watch that Watchmen. Oh yeah. <laughs> there uh... is a. I mean, for one thing, I'd just like to say how much I appreciate the quantity of dong we're being given yeah. in the Watchmen HBO series. I mean, it's not as much dong as whatever that show was we talked about a few months ago, where they 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 talked about having to cut it down from like 180 dicks in one scene. Oh yeah, they they they're like less dicks, please. We're all full up. Well, like Watchmen's got a decent amount of dick. I ain't seen it yet. It what? Well, you know, it's it the dong is there when it makes sense for the dong to be there, right? Yeah. They don't shy away from the presence of the dong. And I like that. Um, but boy, that you know, there's a there's a dildo in there that just Wow. Really wow. It's a good show. <laughs> it's a very it good show. It is indeed. Yeah. Wish your Rex will pour his way into your favorite collection in no time. <laughs> With impressive length and an enticing knot, Rex brings more than a little bite. With his bark. Woof. <laughs> Rex's long, shapely, lightly textured shaft is perfect for thrusting, while you'll meet its climax with its bulbous knot. Few other Bad Dragon products boast such length, making this the perfect toy for deep depth play and T-spot stimulation. Work your way over the knot, and you'll find this toy happily sits and stays just where you leave them, giving you that... Mmm, perfectly filled sensation. So anyway, that's what I was looking at. God, they have so, the <laughs> best copywriters at Bad Dragon. They are, they're great. They know how to write about how to make a thing you want to fuck. They could write novels. They could write novels about enticing nuts. Uh, so I played a video game this week. Oh, yeah. Let me close this search for Res Dilto. <laughs> it's not leading me to any, any decent place. Right. Uh... I've played one that you've been playing, Jim. Oh, God, I've been playing a video game, I tell you what. Yeah, I've, I've been playing that port of Alien Isolation on the Switch. My God, it's good. How did they manage that? It's such a fucking good port, huh? That is undeniably the best port of a modern generation oh, game yeah. to the Switch that I've seen. Like, I, I don't know how they made that work. Yeah. Like... Someone pointed out, like, there was also a PS3 360 version of Alien Isolation. That might be true. But I've seen some ports of 360 games of a certain scale and, and visual quality not not manage to make that visual quality or, or performance on the Switch. This one looks better than the PS4 version in some cases. We've all seen the Digital Foundry video by now. Yeah. Edges are way smoother and... And yeah, there are things, there are effects they've taken out, but none of them, they were all like bells and whistles. No, none of them are the important tone setting ones. Yeah, yeah, it was all like a little bit of like powdered sugar on the cake. They took the powdered mm. sugar off. You don't even notice it because it's rich, delicious wedding cake. The thing I think that got me is thinking about like some of the the, the previous like pretty impressive ports we've had of things like uh, Doom 2016, for example. Um... Some of the concessions made for games like that, I think, would have hurt this game specifically. Yeah. And they get they're concessions you can get away with in a lot of games. Like a little bit of slowdown here and there, your sort of like frame rate concessions, your 
uh, lighting concessions are usually a big one. Like they'll get rid of a lot of dynamic lighting things. Uh, they'll get rid of a lot of like the the effect I keep looking at in Alien Isolation's port that that like a lot of other ports would have cut it is the little bits of dust floating in yes. the air that catch the light. Like that's one of those things that so many developers would have gone. That's unnecessary. Cut that for performance. Yeah. Those are the things that really set the tone of that shit properly. Yeah, one of the appeals of, of Alien Isolation is that it looks like the Alien film. Yeah. So you need that moody lighting. You need a little particle effects. You need the smoke and the yeah. steam. Which, again, another port, a port by a lesser team would have been like, cut that. We don't need that much smoke and steam. Yeah. But then it's it's visual effects that are things like, um, you know, when you get out your tracker and the whole rest of everything sort of just lightly blurs and that comes more into focus. And like that some of those like depth of field stuff they do, it's just all the stuff that gets you really like into that headspace you need to be for that game. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Whoever, whoever w was making whatever people in the team. That were making the decisions about what to take out and what to keep. They they need a raise, they do, because this is the least compromising, most judicious port I've seen on the Switch, I think. I think it's definitely the best port I've ever played. And it runs really smooth. And the fact that they took the time to even make a couple improvements over the current console version is just super impressive. And also, that game still holds up so effing uh, well. Would would you believe this is only the second game this team has ported to Switch? Oh, what else did they do? Uh, so this is uh, Feral, and apparently the only other Switch game they've ever done before this was Grid Autosport. Well, well yeah, I've not played that, so I can't compare. Yeah, because I, I, I was curious, like, oh, is this one of these, like, did they get the team that they got for something like... Um, Hellblade Center was Sacrifice, which is a really solid port, or like the the team that did the the Doom ports and whatnot. But no, F Feral apparently really know how to how to do a good port. Well, I mean, I hope their names getting passed around the industry because because that that port of, of Isolation is top notch. Yeah, and I am still terrified by that game. It's it's been such a nice excuse to go back and yeah. revisit that game, and that game is so fantastic. Even playing it handheld, yeah, my heart's racing because it's just such a tense experience. It might be the scariest horror game I've played because I don't scare very easy um, when it comes to media. Um, mm. And then during, I, I did a little video on the port, and I, I, I hit upon the the conclusion that I'm just terrified in day to day life over most things. Yeah. So horror films and games sort of come up a bit short compared to legist like like legitimate existential dread. Um, so I'm usually disappointed. I don't say it as a bravado thing. I would like mm. games and stuff to scare me more, but this one, it doesn't need jump scares so much to do it. There are some in, and they yeah. They're done really well. They don't just do them gratuitously. It's there to sort of set you on edge and keep you wary. Because uh, you can always hear that thing. Whether the xenomorph has, has dropped down or not, you hear it in the ceilings, scrabbling around. Just constant clues that there's something out there. Yeah. And then when it drops down and it's just stomping around, like, it's fucking terrifying. What, what I think it does really well as a horror game is it, it takes on that whole idea that other games have tried to do before of there is a single very dangerous thing and you really don't have a chance at killing it outright um, but it does a much better job than a lot of games of 
giving you proper context of where this thing is so that you feel like you've got space, you've got breathing room, you've got tools to get around it, but you have to stay constantly aware of, like, it's around, it's never going to properly go away. Um, And I know, like, I've watched videos about how that game works, like, the game does occasionally lie to you about the location of the alien, that's fine, but, like, for the most part, it feels like it's being fair. And, like, you have a solid idea of where this thing is and what it's doing. And because that never goes away, that tension is always there. Like, it's all, I, I, know, I know I've not gotten away from it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it feels a little bit like bullshit. But that's mostly because the, the xenomorph is unpredictable by design. Yeah. Um, you never know when it will drop down. Um, someone in the comments of my video mentioned that... Um, they got through a level once where it didn't appear at all and didn't know until yeah. afterwards seeing someone else that it could have appeared. So it's it's not random, but it's very unpredictable. And and that's what makes it terrifying. Yeah, that's the thing. The, the thought that you could just walk through a level and nothing happen, you know, that, that gives you some, some much-needed respite. Yeah. The unpredictability may, means that sometimes when you get caught, it feels like bullshit. Yeah. But that's the cost of entry basically you you have to pay the fee of occasional frustration to get a truly unpredictable enemy that is not just going along a set path yeah so you can just like go through the motions of where to hide and where to run um and the fact that you can create really dynamic situations that there'll be a group of survivors who are um threatening who are actually aggressive, and then you can trick these animals into going after them. Like, that never gets old. Yeah. Like, just great moments, like, they might see you and open fire on you, you hide, but the gunfire has attracted the xenomorph, so it runs. I once had the xenomorph engage NPCs without me even getting near the NPCs. Um, mm. I just walked into a room, and this hadn't happened the last time I played, but I walked into a room and through the window into the corridor outside, across the room. I saw the the muzzle flash of a gun from someone off screen and the xenomorph just tear ass from one side of the window to the other as it chased after them. And it was fucking brilliant. Yeah, I I need to get around to playing the DLC for that because I never got around to it like back mm, in the neither. time. Me neither, yeah. Yeah, this, this might be a good excuse. Like, I, I considered jumping straight into it and... Recently, my fiance did that. She tried to jump straight into the DLC and was like, nope, it's too tough. Gotta play the, the, the yeah. original first. So I, I feel like it might be wise for me to replay the original before I uh, mess around with that too much. Yeah, I've been doing the same thing, but I've, I've got no problem replaying the original. It's a shame that Sega oh, gosh, was disappointed yeah. by the fucking sales. It sold over a million, which for a horror game and an Aliens game that followed Colonial Marines... I think is good. I think it's good figures. Yeah. Creative Assembly were pleased, um, but Sega wasn't, so I don't know if we'll ever get another one. But my God, if there was an Alien Isolation 2, I'd be all over it. Oh, God, same. Such a good game. It's nice to have a good, big-budget, single-player horror game that yes. has that kind of... I genuinely feel like my character is vulnerable sort of tone to it. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was the last time... I played a horror game that I was like, this is genuinely enthrallingly terrifying. Mm. May have been the last time I played a, a, a horror game that I thought was truly excellent. Yeah. Uh, what about you, comrade? What have you been up to this week? Well, I, uh, I was cruising around itch. Yeah? Uh, dot IO. Yeah, because I 
did that audio book for the Communist Manifesto, plug, plug, uh, available at conradreads.com. Uh, but I used Itch as the storefront to sell that mm. through. And so I was browsing around games on there and, and looking at the, the stuff that's in the, the free pile. And there was something that caught my eye. It's just not new. It's been around a while. It's called Roguelite. And it's sort of got a Game Boy aesthetic in terms of its visuals. Kind of reminds me a bit of Downwell even, um, although a little more intricate uh sprite work in it mm. and some nice animations and uh but it it's it is a it is what its name is but it's r o it's it's rogue l i g h t um because light plays a factor in it and you basically are traveling down a dungeon that gets progressively darker and harder to navigate. And the only light source that you have that you can control are your flaming arrows. Oh. Yeah. And you can use them to kill enemies that are lurking around. You can use them to light torches to provide more light so that you can see around. And But they are a finite resource. You only have so many arrows in your mm. quiver at, a, at, at, at most. And... So And the opportunities to find them along the way may or may not be good. So uh, there's a lot of randomness involved in it. And as you progress, you can, you'll collect coins from killing enemies and from lighting torches and things like that. And very, you'll find all sorts of ways that uh, you can get money. And then as you accumulate it and get deeper and deeper and get more money, you can buy unlocks between rounds uh, that will obviously make it easier to go further and further. It's got a pretty good progression system. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I really liked it. It's, but yeah, it feels like I, I think it was done as as one of the Ludum Dare or uh, or some game jam uh, with a Game Boy style focus. I believe that's hmm. what I read on there. Uh, but you can find it on Itch. It's pay what you want. Um, let me see. I have the guy, uh, the developer's name. I wrote it down uh daniel linson uh so yeah that's that's fun i played that and the other thing i played which is also something jim's played uh i i played darksiders 3 oh that game's awful ah i hate that game and i don't oh what's wrong with you well i think a big part of it is is the when we played it um because you played it right at launch and as I understand it, they later patched it with a classic control scheme. Oh, right. I didn't know that was a thing. And so it plays, for my money, like Darksiders 1. Huh. You know, in terms of, of the mechanics of the gameplay. You know, it's still got the platforming stuff that I'm never a fan of in those games. You know, yeah. It still has problems, certainly. But I, I really don't think it's that far off from what Darksiders was, at least now. Um, and I really prefer Darksiders 1 to Darksiders 2 because I, you know, I think loot stuff can be fun and, and all of that, but it felt really burdensome to me uh, to in, in Darksiders 2 managing that. Um, they threw a lot into that system. And uh, so I've never even been able to complete it. I, I get in, I play it for a while. I'm like, oh, this combat's fun. Oh, I like collecting this stuff. And I'm like, oh, I got to get rid of all this stuff. And then it's like, oh, this sure is a lot of stuff. 
And I'm going to stop playing and months will pass and I'll come back and be like, Darksiders 2, I should really... Fi- oh, <laughs> better- <laughs> I better start again. And yeah, yeah, I've never made it out of the frozen area, I don't think. Yeah, Darksiders 3 is one that like, I played it when it first came out and it was a real shame how much I wasn't enjoying it because... Everything about the sort of like tone of the character uh, of the the primary character in pre-release stuff had seemed really interesting. I liked the idea of the character that we were going to be playing as, and it just felt awkward and stilted when I got around to actually playing it. Yeah, my issues go a bit beyond controls, although that may help. Mm. I just didn't like anything about the level setup and the the way enemies felt to fight. There's just something about it that set me off that... And I say this as someone who adored both of the first Darksiders games. Always championed that series. But, yeah. It does, as I say, still have serious problems. Um, There are uh, certain enemy types that the visuals actively work against your ability to see them in the environment. Yeah. Uh, that can be a real problem, especially since their primary mode of attack is ranged. Mm. Oh, yeah. So many of them end up, like, off-screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... Plinking at you as well. Uh, horde management is a big part of the combat in Darksiders, I feel. Um, but yeah. that is not helped by the uh the way the camera seems to be situated in this one and yeah. the range of enemies uh the 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 their ai is not sort of complementary to the limitations mm. uh in the well, vision so as as i said the other week that's the one thing that genesis got right was because it pulled the camera back it did make that crowd management stuff right easier because that that was a big problem in three is just i'm getting attacked by stuff that the camera just isn't designed to let me see fast enough yeah i will i will also i i don't like fury right that's this one yeah 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 i'm i'm not a fan of the characterization particularly i get it but that's also like okay i get it Right. I, th- I thought I was gonna like it before the game released. I didn't like the end result. <laughs> I really I like her design. Like from mm, yeah. a from yeah, an aesthetic standpoint, good. it's really cool. But no, her personality is not. I can't even remember it actually now. I think she was slightly dry. I mean, it's just I- I- impatient. I want to be in charge. Yeah, I'm right without thinking things through character. It's not impatience is not that particularly interesting as a character trait. I I mean, it's it's my entire review style. (laughs) But yeah, I'm likely to actually finish it. um, Yeah. Despite it, you know, having I like the I do like the environment design generally. I I don't uh, think it works necessarily well in combat situations, but I like how they're using it for puzzles. The verticality is is not my favorite thing, but it's employed pretty well. Uh, I'm having fun thinking things through. I, it doesn't just hand you solutions immediately, uh, as some of these games tend to do. And so I've had fun puzzling things out, but it also doesn't feel too incongruous. I never have difficulty solving the puzzles. So, you know, I get the satisfaction of having done it, you know, or feeling like I did something. I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't hate it. Um, I'll, I'll play it through, probably. Uh, I can certainly see a lot of criticisms for it um but uh yeah 
not hating it yet. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Jim? What else you've been playing this week? Um, it's been a, it's nothing new. It's all been old games, which is unusual for me. But it's a quiet month, and I'm yeah. I've got a lot of time just sitting around feeling sorry for myself with uh, with my troubles. So I just played old things to feel better about myself. Um, played Yakuza Four. I like to talk about that. Um, but I'll, first, I'm going to talk about well. While we were, you know, talking about switch ports and that, it's been a port heavy week as well because I play and and not just port as in port on a console port like ships would go in as well because I played Black Flag. That's a good joke. That is a good joke. Round of applause we'll, for me too. We'll give joke. you a good joke sticker, Jim. Let me Brilliant. find a good joke sticker book. Mm. Then then I can walk up to David Lynch and say, "Hey, sticker buddies, <laughs> sticker buddies, don't look at him. Look at my sticker. All right, watch yourself." Um, yeah, so I played Black Flag. The, the, I forget what they call it because that other one's in it as well, Rogue or something. It's like the Assassin's Creed, the the thing collection. The, the people who were on boats collection. Yeah, the boat, the boat boys collection. I tell you what, I'm so much more used to the the changes they made in Origins and Odyssey, and I didn't appreciate how how much of a change they made with with a lot of stuff because my God, I forgot how bad the controls are in those assassin's creed games before then and they were like they weren't bad in the context of the time they were acceptable yeah well i i this is where i'm ahead of the curve (laughs) because i've never rated the assassin's creed series on its controls i've always complained about them as some assassin's creed fans will never let me forget (laughs) um wasn't fond of it see i i like i like black flag but that's the pirate shit i'd heard it was the best one and I've, I've played a bit of it in the past, but not much. But it is true that, for the most part, barring some things where the, the monetization has just disgusted me, at, at least gameplay-wise, I have progressively liked every new Assassin's Creed that comes out, except for Unity, which was Dross. Which one was Unity? Was that the, the London one? That was the French one. Uh, that was the French one. Which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, I've progressively liked them more and more to the point where I reached Syndicate, which that's the London one. Yeah. I genuinely quite liked that one. Um, yeah. So I decided to, since it was on the Switch, and I'll, you know, I, I take... I take the excuse to play most things on the Switch. Plus, I want something really casual so I can have a Game of Thrones rewatch without actually paying attention to it, because that's the best way to rewatch something. <laughs> so I can put Game of Thrones on on the TV and play something on the Switch and then feel better about my horrid, pain-ridden life. Um, so I played it. It is good-ish. It's got that... There's this thing about these Ubisoft games where they're all they're all different in their own way, but there's so many things tying them all together that they're basically the same game. And and it's not a bad little system. They've a little racket, I'll say, just to be extra spicy. They got going. Um, that core gameplay loop is quite satisfying. Um, but my God. I miss how much easier it is to climb stuff in Assassin's Creed Odyssey and Origins mm. and how much more spacious things are so you're not like trying to run from one part of just from one end of a of a street to the other without the risk of him trying to climb up a wall that he clearly can't climb up. It's not designed to be climbed up. So he's just skidding up and down like a fall because you hold one button and that controls running and jumping and climbing all at once. Well, but it also only serves to demonstrate how these this every year release cycle 
of, you know, very minor iterations of the concept, you know, would in reality, if they spent, you know, the two or three year gap between installments in the franchise that you might expect from other series, you would see stark differences like this between them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's only going back that I really appreciated it. Right. Um, cause it is like that incremental yeah. thing of, of, yeah, you don't notice it as much. Yeah. New consoles come out yeah, like less and less. I'm impressed by them, but then I go back and play older ones and I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. there's a stark difference here. Um, I mean, that's one of the issues of diminishing returns, um, is you can't really appreciate when things are impressive. Um, but yeah, just the fact that everything is so much more climbable in Odyssey and Origins makes all the difference. Um, there are times where I've just given up trying to chase, like, you've got to chase those little musical notes in Black Black Flag. It's one of the many collectibles, because um, like many Ubisoft games of the time, it was just crammed with the same shit to do over and over. Um, that's most of them now. But they're these little musical notes you chase, and sometimes I'm just like, I can't be fucked with this, because it's clear they want me to hold the hold the free run button and just follow this line, run along the branch, go between those tree branches, jump on that bit of roof. But sometimes he will just like not do it. He'll just not climb where he's supposed to, or he'll try, he'll just turn to the side and try and climb up a bit of a tree that is clearly not climbable because they didn't make it to be climbable. And then I'm just like, this can fuck off. But, in the heart of it, under all the annoyance, is something, certainly something that works well on a Switch in that sort of casual paying half attention way. Mm. Half attention on Game of Thrones, half attention on Black Flag. Because so much of it is just guff. And guff can work a bit better on a portable thing for that more casual play style. So there's just this nice little therapeutic pattern of just running around the city opening chests and climbing up stuff. Um... And it's just, I think that works better in a handheld environment. I've talked about how different different systems can affect a game as much as the gameplay itself. And I think that's, that's true of Ubisoft games. I think I'd enjoy all of them a lot better if they were all on the Switch. Well, I think mechanically they have tapped into something that's in all of our collective subconscious that you know we don't know what to do. We all have this sense of existential dread about what the future holds Mm. for us and what direction our life should take. And there is an incredible comfort to be derived by giving explicit instructions to do this thing by going to this place and and having this simple interaction. There's something really comforting about knowing exactly what you need to do next and being able to get into a loop where... As soon as you finish one thing, you know what what's next to do, and you keep getting that little hit of, ah, oh, I did it, yay! And you still have a sense of uh, choice about what thing you do, even in reality, yeah. all of those things are essentially the same, but you get to decide what order you want to do them in, yeah. or whatever, but it all is just laid out for you. These are the things to do, go do them. I hit upon this thought when I was playing, I went and replayed a bit more of Odyssey mm. earlier this year. Um, during a depressive phase, and that's where it hit me. These games are great for depression. Genuine, like, proper depression. I'm not making a joke about, oh, Ubisoft is good if you're sad. Like, because it is just so regimented 
in terms of the doing the same thing in each new area and as you say it's all mapped out for you if you want you can have the game just tell you to do things and you just go do it and it just takes up so much time mm. that you would otherwise be spent just sat there like fixating on something yeah. and there's this comfortable predictability about it yeah. as well like you're not going to get any wild things throwing you a loop it's just I know what I'm going to do, and I'll do it, and I will have achieved it. It's basically the opposite of Alien Isolation. So I've, I'm have i in a bizarre situation of, of high anxiety and low depression, just up and down as I play Black Flag and Alien Isolation, <laughs> with one just, like, making my anxiety go haywire, and the other one just sort of bringing me down into this brain-dead lull. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, life's a roller coaster for me on the Switch, Brilliant. Yeah. Um, having fun with both. Like you say, Black Flag, I can only play for so long before I'm just annoyed. Before the, the controls and, and the way the character moves just gets under my skin. But very much like Odyssey and, and all of the others, it's just it's just nebulous content that you can just keep yourself distracted with. And in that way, despite you know me being very critical of the Assassin's Creed series, I will give it that credit. It's got this dull predictability that doesn't mean it's bad. It's very functional. I think Ubisoft of up to a couple of years ago was really good at that loop. Like, a lot of their games at their core had that same sort of, this is what you're coming to a Ubisoft game for. Yeah, pretty much. I I described uh, The Division 2 as enjoyable in its tedium, and and I think that's true of a lot of Ubisoft games. Yeah. Uh, barring sometimes they have one that's really excellent and sometimes they have one that's really bad but for the most part it's just enjoyable tedium (laughs) Uh, so i played one other thing this week that uh i'm still sort of mulling over a bit but i finished it now i finished uh life is strange 2 oh yeah yeah um i'm really happy with how that series turned out um Compared to the original Life is Strange, I think that this does a much better job of mm, making the ending feel like it's a culmination of the choices you made rather than here is one final binary choice, what do you want to do? Which, yeah, you know, I, I love the original Life is Strange, but I can acknowledge that it was here are the two ending buttons, which ending do you want? So for anyone, like, we've not really talked about it in a while, for anyone who's not up to speed on it, episodic adventure game, the idea this time is you are, you are a teenager with a younger brother who has basically had to run away from home because your little brother has superpowers and maybe accidentally killed a cop when your dad got killed, and you're a little bit like... Even if we prove that that it was self-defense and was not intentional, my non-white little brother killed a cop and has psychic powers and will probably end up on a, lo- on a lab table. So you're just sort of trying to cross America and get to Mexico to maybe find somewhere to start a new life. And the whole core of the game is basically, as a teenager trying to balance survival while homeless, while, you know, keeping some semblance of, of a life for yourself, while also, like, you know... Staying alive, but teaching good lessons to your, your your kid brother. And a lot of the choices in there are really interesting because they basically boil down to, I know that in the short term this will help us survive living homeless and on the run, but I know exactly what lesson it's going to teach my brother and I know there will be consequences for that. Like, the, the consequences of your choices are pretty well laid out up front. And it's just a case of trying to walk that line of, 
how many times can I get away with breaking the rules to keep us going without permanently fucking up this kid's moral compass? And I, I, I think they've handled it really well. I have really grown attached to these characters. I think that the, the pacing of the series was a little up and down in places. Like, uh, there's some episodes that feel better paced than others, but at its at its core, it's it's just a really sweet story about two brothers bonding under horrible circumstances and just trying to keep afloat in a kind of shitty world. Mm-hmm. It's really nice. I, I, I kind of want to go back through it now and get a better feel for like, okay, this is the ending I got. How much can I do to actually change how my brother ends up in the finale but uh yeah it's a it's a nice little follow-up it, it felt distinctly different from the the first life is strange well, cool cool yeah 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 i still i've still only ever played the first episode of the first season but i'm glad it's you know glad it's apparently doing really well yeah it's it's nice that we've got someone doing sort of choice-based narrative stuff like that there isn't telltale now that they've you know collapsed and been farming things out far too often and it's not david cage with his overly pretentious lengthy big budget projects like i'm glad we've still got a company making some nice little episodic adventure stuff yeah yeah the only other one was the council which oh yeah the council. had its issues yeah enjoyable in its own way but it had its issues yeah no th- this this one has felt very in touch with when it's releasing like a lot of it's uh a lot of it, a lot of its commentary feels very, very relevant uh, in its observations about modern day America, which is nice. It doesn't shy away from like it doesn't shy away from being a story about non-white homeless people in Trump-esque America. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, it it doesn't try and like tackle those things in the abstract. It's like no, no, let's let's deal with the realities of these the fact that. The country's kind of shitty right now. Yeah. Uh, Not wrong. Yeah. It's it's. I I need to I need to finish digesting it and I need to go back over some of it. But I'm feeling pretty good about it so far. I I enjoyed it. Now I think I think the issue uh, with that statement is probably the last two words. I think they're extraneous. What 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 words were they? Uh, right now. Yeah. That's like you could have just stopped at this country is shitty. <laughs> I, I suppose I could have. Uh, there's an election happened in my country this week, and I'm terrified of it. Fucking yeah. gonna not gonna be a fun time. Uh, so there's some some new stuff popped up this week. I don't know how much of this either of you saw. That Resident Evil Three remake is happening. We got a trailer for it. Looks really good. Looks really good. There's a couple of parts in the trailer where it looks like it's first person, and that's a bit weird. But yeah. Yeah. Character designs all look nice. I think I I saw that they they made it look first person to first person to um like I guess maybe hint at that multiplayer that's coming with it the the re- maybe the the I forget what the the other game mode is called oh uh, yeah re re something resistance or something like that I forget but um yeah they they the actual gameplay for. Resi 3 will be, you know, third person. Yeah, that's what I would assume. A fair bit more action-oriented, I think. Yeah. Character models will look nice. That's coming out probably earlier than most of us expected. It's coming out in April. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. 
That's really not long to wait at all. Also, they showed off some some gameplay for that uh, Square Enix and Platinum game from E3 this year, Babylon's Fall. The one that we, we got a name for it at E3 and fucking nothing else. Medieval combat game, but you've got cool flaming summon swords. Ooh. And as someone who very much enjoyed all the summon swords in uh, Devil May Cry 5, I'm like, yeah... Yeah, I'll play another game with summon swords. Summon swords are a cool thing. I like those in games. Yeah. Uh, and there's a new Bioshock coming at some point. It's years away, apparently, but it's happening. Yeah, I, I'm down for that. Happy with it in theory. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, we'll see. I, I, here, my, my thing is, I, I think all of the Bioshock games that have been made have had merit to their existence. Right? And yeah. things that I've taken away from them, whether or not those were the intended things by the developer <laughs> uh, or not. They've all been mechanically enjoyable games. Sure. Uh, depending on, you know, I, <laughs> uh, I sure as hell didn't do a whole lot of ziplining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Wasn't for me, but maybe somebody found some joy in that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So I'm open to see what could come next out of that, but it could go anywhere, and it's it could so easily not be good. Yeah, it's two K's involvement, especially with a, a team they can have completely under their thumb, that worries me. Yeah, obviously Gearbox had a level of autonomy to where they could resist a lot of what you would expect 2K to put in, because we need to remember these are the NBA 2K yep. people, mm. and, and just how badly they've they've monetized that to the point where the storefront is indistinguishable from a mobile game storefront now. Uh, it's embarrassing, as far as I'm concerned. They should be embarrassed, but they're not, because they make money off mm. it. But that's my worry. You can sell... You can sell Adam to people and then become Bioshock in real, but for the video <laughs> game. That's the problem, is 2K, 2K games will turn Bioshock into Bioshock for real. Yeah. The, the only thing that's given me any solace that this might not be terrible is just the fact that they they did step away for several years after Infinite and just go, it's okay, We'll take a break from it. We'll come back to it later. Well, I've got my own theory about that. Yeah. Because I, I, I've asked this question. It was either in an article or a video of where have all the Bioshocks gone, where this generation, we do not have all that many games. We've had some, like Prey has been comparable, and there have been some decent yeah. single-player games, but they got phased out with the live service thing. And my, mm. my thinking is, because Bioshock was not only critically acclaimed, commercially successful but hard to justify monetizing, especially because you would end up Bioshock for real. You'll run up against the game's themes, which won't necessarily deter a publisher. But being able to seamlessly integrate it and turn something like Bioshock into a live service is probably hard to do. And I think that's why a lot of publishers have shied away from some of the really good narratively driven series that we had last gen. Yeah. Is it takes effort to try and bolt monetization onto those types of games so we saw less and less yeah. i i'm not entirely convinced they took a break from bioshock for any artistic reason whatsoever i think that's 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 a totally fair observation i'm i'm curious what it's going to look like because you know their, their comments about it's going to be a few years before we see it probably means 
next gen. Yeah, and there's a lot of things that can change. I mean, right now we're in a live service craze with the looter shooters. I could see them try and turn Bioshock into that. But that phase may have already, you know, that bubble will likely have burst in a few years' time. And it will be something else they've glommed on to. Because I remember Strauss Zelnick... I think it was him, wanted a Bioshock MMO back when MMOs were big. Yeah. Um, Never happened, thank Christ. That would have been a huge waste of money. So, yeah, like, who knows what they'll try and glom onto. I'm starting to think that way more and more when I hear about games that are several years away because I've seen business models and horrible things happen in the industry so long. Yeah. I can now no longer guess as to what the game will feel like. Yeah. 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 Uh, the only only other thing I had on the list that I thought was worth noting was, uh, you know, you know, with your Switch subscription, you get a bunch of NES and Super NES games. That was one of the big draws for me. Now I never open it because they drip feed the stuff and do what they've always done and make horrible decisions about what to bring over. Well, they stuck one good one on there. Uh, for people that haven't got around to uh, trying it, Star Fox 2, that oh. game that never got released, even though it was finished. Uh, there you I think go. previously it was on the, the Super Nintendo Mini was the only place you could play it, but yeah, that's coming to Switch. That's that's probably worth playing. I wish they would be more consistent with all this, because it was like once yeah. a month and you get a handful. And then when the SNES thing came on, we're like, at last, finally, yeah. Nintendo pulled the rug out again and said, oh, it's not even going to be every month now, it's just when we feel like it. Yeah, I, I think had they kept it to a monthly schedule, I'd have felt a lot better about it, but... And there's no reason to do it. Yeah. There is no fucking reason. They will not run out of content. They've got all the ROMs. They won't run out. Yeah. Especially when they've already, like, put dross up there like what are you waiting for just throw it all up yeah we will be on the switch constantly if you just throw it all the fuck up so all right here's the alternative viewpoint i think they're uh i think what they're doing is they're following the disney model yeah disney has historically you know had this vault of just treasured animated classics that with every format they roll out again individually to try and get people. Now, I think Nintendo mistakenly thinks Balloon Fight is in that canon. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that Wrecking Crew, while a, a great game needs, to, but that's the thing I think they're doing. I will say one thing though, which is Disney have moved away from that recently. If you look at Disney Plus. They just dumped everything on their day one and said just just everything. Even Disney knows what year it is now. Except for Song of the South. They don't put that on there. But, uh... Except for Song of the South, obviously. The, the ever itchy Song of the South. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Nintendo needs to catch the fuck up. Because at this point, yeah. it's I tell you what it is. It's fucking pretentiousness. It's fucking yeah. pretentiousness is what it is. And I know people don't like hearing that word anymore, but that's what it fucking is. They're trying to act like the big fucking deal. Like Balloon Fight is comparable to Fern... I was going to say Fern Gully, but that wasn't Disney. <laughs> Fantasia. Fantasia. The little-known Fern Gully Fantasia spin-off. <laughs> they think Balloon Fight and fucking Urban Champion. If I ever see Urban fucking Champion re-release one more time, I'm going to eat a tree. That's a very dangerous uh, gauntlet to lay down because it will happen. I just realised as 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 the words escape my mouth, eating a tree <laughs> doesn't punish Nintendo <laughs> and will have to happen because they will release Urban Champion again. Yeah, you realise yeah. what you've done now. Nintendo's getting out of this scot-free. If anything, they get a free tree eating out of it. They just... <laughs> 
gather around when I live stream it. It's fine. We'll definitely, definitely remember to cut this out in post. Yeah, don't don't let anyone know of my my arrogance <laughs> of your new of your brilliant new character Beaver Jim. Yeah. <laughs> It's me, Beaver Jim. I'm going to eat a tree because I don't want to fucking play Urban Champion again. It's a bad game, Nintendo. When are they going to fucking... They made that 3D. Yeah. They went, what can we make 3D for the 3DS? Hmm. Hmm. I know. Urban Champion. That's what the world's screaming for. We'll sell that on the Switch again. Didn't they even sell it? Isn't it even... Mm -hmm. They sold it as a separate game. Yeah. Urban fucking... Who is playing that? Who thinks that's good? And what's wrong with you? It's not a good game. It's not just that they keep releasing it. It's a bad game that they keep trying (laughs) to convince us is something everyone wants. If If you'd look at the history of Urban Fucking Champions releases, you'd think it was more requested than Shenmue. You'd think it was more... Rec- you'd think it was the most popular Nintendo franchise. So, I know this is hyperbole, but I would play Urban Fucking Champions. I'd love that, actually. Yeah. Can, can you fuck on a bus? Can you fuck behind the bin over there? Yeah, can you fuck someone into the trash? What 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 urban environment can you fuck on on this level? Uh, can, oh. can Jonathan Holmes be the main character? Can John? Oh please, <laughs> can Jonathan on oh, Nintendo? Please, can can Jonathan? Can Jonathan, who was on Road Rules, MTV's Road Rules Northern Trail that time in 1998, can he be the star and have his hair back and wear a baseball cap backwards and then fuck people into piles of trash? No. Is that us done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get around uh, to Yakuza. Um, it's good. I'm going to end every podcast now with just Yakuza's good. You can talk about Yakuza if you oh, want. Oh, no, my, my back's killing me. I'm going to have to go. Um, we've, we've, we've reached the time, and I'm like, I need to. I need to bend my spine the other way. Oh. Um, it's just something I have to do. So, yeah, Yakuza's good. Laura, where, please? Where? Where? Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube. Laura K. Buzz on Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Please consider donating me a dollar a month there if you can. It really helps keep keep me doing the things that I do. LauraKBuzz.com. Links to everything ends up there. I've got some books. Uncomfortable Labels. It's a memoir. It's about being gay and trans and on the autism spectrum. And there's Things I Learned from Mario's Butt, which is a silly, serious, uh, illustrated coffee table book of video game character butt reviews. Other than that, I've got podcasts. There's Pixel Squirt, where I talk about video game porn. Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where me and my fiancé do silly skits and voices together. And Dice Funk, it's a Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Uh, Each season is a self-contained story. I'm on seasons three, four, five, and six. May I recommend season five, if if you like us do not like colonialism that is a story about fighting colonialism in space that you could go listen to uh, if you listen to that season you will hear Conrad Zimmerman who's also on Dice Funk that's right I am also on Dice Funk you can hear me on seasons 5 and 6 of that fine fine audio program uh, you can find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman you can buy my audiobooks at conradreads.com, uh, including the Communist Manifesto book that I put out last week and was a big success. Number one book on itch.io. Hey. Like, nice. You know, I mean... <laughs> i got to say this, though. Was conreads.com taken? You know, no, it just never, never even crossed my mind. 
Okay, carry on. I could probably check. I mean, it's probably taken now that we've said it out loud. It's too, too late. late. Too late now. Um, you can uh, buy anti-establishment propaganda pins from me at pinfultruth.com. You can hear me on other podcasts like Of Horse, a BoJack Horseman fancast, a podcast where I talk about with uh, Elodie Cunningham and Jake Spencer, all the episodes of BoJack Horseman. Uh, you can hear me on the spinoff Doctors and on Boston's Favorite Son with the illustrious Jim Sterling, who I am led to understand has a Patreon. Oh, there's a Patreon. There's a Patreon, all right. And when you're down here, you'll be a Patreon too. Ah, I'm going to pull your arm off, kid. Right. Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. It's there. That's the best tagline I can come up with. It's there. Um, supports this show. Makes me, allows me to pay people for contributions to it and commission things um, for the show. Um, the Jimquisition and this and any of the other ad-free stuff, Jimpressions and whatnot. No one has to support it. No, no content's gated, so that's good. And that's about it. Um, there's obviously the channel as well, Jim Sterling on YouTube. To check out the last Jimquisition, very few did. So please do that, because uh, it was good. It was it's, it's exactly like the Dark Souls thing again. More positive feedback than ever. It doesn't translate <laughs> into, mm. into, into cold, hard uh, ana- analytics. Um, so there we go. But it was a fun episode regardless. And that's that. Thank you so much. Um, we will be back next week to tell you whether your favourite games are great or perfect. And bye. Bye. Bye.